Hello and welcome to another episode of That CI Podcast, That Creative Industries Podcast. I am, as usual, your host Ash. Today I'm chatting with Emiliano Trere about his book, Hybrid Media Activism, Ecologies, Imaginaries, Algorithms. Emiliano is a lecturer in the School of Journalism, Media and Culture at Cardiff University. Now, before we get into the interview, there's a few things that you can do to support the project. First of all, you can follow us on Twitter at that CI podcast. Secondly, you can sign up for the free weekly and brief newsletter. That's that CI newsletter on MailChimp. And finally, if you're able to, you might consider supporting us on Patreon at that CI podcast. So with that out of the way, I began the interview with Emiliano in the usual way by asking him to explain a bit about who he is and what he does. Well, yeah, my name is uh, Emiliano Trere with an accent, even if my Anglo-Saxon version has lost the accent at the, at the end for some reasons. It's also kind of a crazy thing to tell because it's actually, an, I'm Italian, so the, the, the surname has got this Italian accent, but since I've been living in Spain and then in Mexico for so long, it is now uh, changed, like uh, uh, in uh, as a as a Spanish accent. So, <laughs> in Spain, is a Spanish accent. It should be an Italian one, but it's not. And in Anglo Anglophone kind of regions, and, and now since I work in the UK, it's been it's been lost. But you know, besides this story of 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 my surname, which is indicative of people working in different kind of academic context. Uh, well, as I said, my name is Emiliano Trare. I have, um, well, yeah, actually, uh, I'm, a, I'm a senior lecturer in media colleges and social transformation at uh, the School of Journalism, Media and Culture of uh, Cardiff University. Um, and um, I've been working here for two years. I'm also a member of the Data Justice Lab, this based at the same institution. And uh, uh, let's say that, well, I have a background in communication. I've been working in communication and media uh, for, for a long time before as a journalist in Italy. And then I studied in Bologna University, uh, a, a BA and MA in communication sciences and communication studies. And uh, and then I um, I went to different places, and uh, my academic career has been a bit uh, in different places. in In Spain, I work in Spain. It was like NGO and also research in Latin America and uh, and African studies. Uh, and then um, and then I came back to Italy to do an international PhD in Udine, the north. Uh, part of the PhD was also again in Spain, in Madrid at the Complutense University, and then I was in Erfurt in in Germany, uh, at the university also in the media department. And after the PhD, I went to Mexico, first as a visiting kind of uh, uh, professor, but then I got a job there, and I stayed there for almost five years. And um, and yeah, so I was professor in Querétaro, in uh, Santiago de Querétaro, in the city. 
Uh, and so um, let's say that, and then I came back to Italy, I couldn't get a proper job there, <laughs> which is the reason why I moved to the UK. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually the truth. Um, I also, in between, work for Canada in a kind of a fellow position in Lakehead University. So I have experience in both the global north and the global south, which is something that I think my scholarship is is a lot about this contradiction. So I kind of integrate perspective and uh, in both case studies and in conceptual developments. What I've been doing for the last, let's say, eight years is studying digital activism. It's like multiple contexts around the world and uh, both conceptually and, 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 and also, uh, as I said, in different case studies around the world. So in Mexico, in Spain and in Italy, uh, but also in Greece, uh, another kind of uh, Mediterranean context, and uh, I s and recently I've been I've moved a bit to the critical data studies realm, uh, uh, trying to also research data activism and what I call algorithmic resistance, and this is part of my work at the data justice lab. So this is a bit of my trajectory uh, uh, research-wise, you know, just uh, that, of course, mirrors my story as a, as a researcher going from place to place. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's very interesting that your, um, your background, like professional background and the, the study uh, that, that you've been doing um, bridges uh, the, the global north and the global south because the, the sort of con the immediate context that, that I'm, I'm talking to you about at the moment is what seems anyway to me, what, what feels like a, a wave of um, kind of unrest and quite militant activism, which is which, which bridges just that divide. So it, it seems like there's things happening in this realm, um, you know, from France to, to Hong Kong and Iraq and, and most recently Chile. I mean, it's uh, unrest in Latin America is... Uh... <laughs> Again, is 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 now uh, in different in different countries. I mean, Chile, of course, but Ecuador, uh, Bolivia, IT, uh, Haiti. So it's um, and uh, well, I will mention also another south of the north, which is which is Spain. So Catalonia in this and uh, in this. So I, I'd say and and um, that somehow we are seeing some of the. Some of the themes and some of the developments, both social and technological, that I somehow analyze in my research, uh, brought to another level. Some of the some of the contradiction, like you know, of neoliberalism and uh, the pro the socioeconomic problems that were there are still are still there, and somehow they're like being uh, exer exacerbated and kind of uh, uh, brought to another. Another critical point, uh, and, and technologically, we've seen some kind of continuities, but also some differences. Of course, I was amazed by this this new app by the uh, uh, used in Catalonia. You know, just like moving to the next kind of phase of uh, of digital activism, and at the same time, Chile has also experienced a lot of like different technological appropriation. So now, uh, actually, the penguins back in the day, like. Uh, 15 years ago or something like that they were basically using messenger and, uh, and and now it's a totally different scenario that speaks a lot to the evolution of 
of pract of digital activism practices that I that I use that, that I describe in my book, and at the same time, this context have been particularly active as technological laboratories, as I said. I mean, of course, I I look at Mexico, which has always been, and then at Spain, but. They are they are definitely again at the center of social unrest in this new wave. The the apps that you're talking about in Spain, it's the is this the tsunami? Yeah, yeah, tsunami democratic. Could you explain what this what this app is and how it works? Because I thought that tsunami democratic was uh, a kind of movement like the yellow vests or something like this, but it it is an actual specific um, piece of technology. From what I see and from like what my friends uh, uh, um, have told me and what I have been following, uh, it's uh, it's an app that basically uh, um, kind of makes the local and the global. So it gives you information on Telegram regarding what you should do, the frame that you should somehow use for your protest. It's a it's a related to Catalan uh, um, independence and kind of. Uh, um, reaction against the last, the latest tribunal, what do you say, like sentence of the of the Spanish government against these uh, activists and politicians. Uh, at the same time, it is something that has been going on for a while. So the apps is now more sophisticated. It gives you uh, some codes. Uh, it develops and and uh, codes that you can use with uh, your mobile phones and that you can use with the cells. Like a local cells, so uh, basically it is uh, done to prevent surveillance from finding out who is the initiator and kind of leadership and the main node organizing this. Uh, so you're only able to uh, uh, um, actually find out the local cells, even if they're all connected. So it's a kind of a decentralized app that works to fight against the uh, uh, surveillance and. The, the ability to actually uh, find who, who is the initiator of this. There are different nodes. Uh, so I, I guess it makes the most out of the decentralized nature of uh, of the internet in this in this case and the fact that it's the kind of a distributed leaderships. And also it's really effective in kind of spreading the frame and the discourses that um, activists want to uh, use during this protest. So to make sure that there is a kind of a a coherent narrative that is spread, you know, and pushed to have a, a, an impact also in the news and, and, and in the streets and in the squares. So it's a next thing. The, the thing is that it's an application. It's a, and it works in tandem with Telegram, which is the instant messaging platforms that is most used by, uh, uh, by I would say politicians and also part of the activists in Spain, while it's not so used in other contexts. Um, I wanted to, I guess, move to uh, move to the project and the book that I'm here mostly to discuss. Uh, that is hybrid media activism. Uh, that's your book. So I'd like to know how the project sort of came about. Well, uh, originally, I mean, this, uh, as you have seen, this is like the result of 10 years of research. Uh, originally, I had to, this, this was thought as just one book about Mexico, because there's so much on Mexico that, uh, so I researched different movements in Mexico, and I had um, this original book proposal uh, in mind like five years ago. 
and then for some reason I moved back to Italy and uh, uh, I had other things going on and it could not be uh, a reality so I decided to wait a bit more and put everything in it <laughs> that that is a bit of a problem because there are three contexts uh, like italy spain and mexico there are uh, uh, a lot of conceptual developments and all but i think i succeeded to kind of squeeze all the knowledge that i have kind of accumulated within these years and all the research the case studies that i've been investigating so it's a research that span uh, the initial, uh, even the initial PhD uh, thesis and research that I did in Italy on the autonomous, um, uh, um, sorry, uh, anomalous wave uh, student movement that originated in 2008 and encloses uh, with the election in Mexico in 2018. So it's actually 10 years of research. Um, in Mexico, uh, I also look at uh, different evolution, uh, recent, more recent evolution in political campaigning and algorithmic uh, trolls and bots and, and, and the like. And But my main point is about the Yo Soy Cetanetados movement. And then in Italy, I also look at the Five Star movement. And in Spain, of course, I focus on the Indignados and the kind of electoral manifestations uh, as Podemos after that. So it's a lot, it's, it, it's a lot of ground to cover. And, uh, and based on this, it's a lot, I mean, I kind of sum up all the conceptual contributions that are summed up again in this, the three concepts of uh, ecologies, imaginaries, and algorithms. Uh, uh, you will see that I'm a bit obsessed by the number three. So uh, uh, it's probably something from my past, I am. Uh, I studied Latin and Greek and rhetoric, so uh, uh, of course the number three is a is a perfect rhetorical device. But at the same time, so hybrid media activism, the the three concept, it's three case study, three regional kind of context around the world, and each sections, which of course three sections of my book are organized in three chapters. In Mexico, I was lucky, again, uh, let's say lucky, to be there uh, since 2011. And, and in 2012, and in 2011, one movement, one strong movement erupted. It was the movement for uh, uh, um, against violence, the narco-trafficking violence for, for, for peace and dignity, for justice and dignity. And that I started studying that, but of course it's it's a movement that has been incredibly powerful, but mainly relying on kind of traditional media. So in 2012, uh, uh, another movement erupted. I say lucky because of course, uh, uh, for like some someone like us is a gold mine, but at the same time it means that something is is going on in the country. And the Yo Soy 132 movement erupted in in 2012 and that was my main case study it's a movement for media democratization so it was a movement that used digital media a lot like massively uh, young students uh, 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 in all over the country mainly but it's a movement that had as a cent like at the center of their of their of their mobilization the need to kind of denounce and change the media system in Mexico, which is highly, highly concentrated. One of the, you know, uh, uh, the, the most biased media system in the world and highly concentrated in the ends of just a, a few media 
oligarchs. So, of course, I mean, the impact that it, it, this has on the public sphere and on public opinion and, and politics is immense. And so they wanted to change that. They criticized that and they acted to change that. Uh, this was one. And then I in Mexico, I traced the evolution of this until 2018 with the new election. So Peña Nieto was in, elected in 2012. Uh, students were, of course, I mean, uh, uh, really uh, was a powerful movement, couldn't not stop these elections uh, uh, that were, you know, massively backed. And so the pre-party uh, won, let's say the right, even if it is really more complex than that, but let's leave it at the right. And in 2018, the left won. So there is this change in these years, these six years that I kind of uh, trace, not only this movement, but also other kind of manifestation and other parties uh, in order to give a full picture of Mexico. In Italy, <clears throat> on the other side, well, as I said before, I start in 2008 with the student movement. This student movement was the first to denounce the problem with precarity, with, uh, with the crisis, with the financial crisis, and it did so as many times in Italy before others, but as again, as oftentimes in Italy, it crashed before it could actually articulate this further. While other movements like the Indignados Occupy were thriving, this movement that had, that had emerged in 2008 had kind of collapsed. Uh, uh, so uh, And then in Italy, so I look at the party movement Five Star, which is of course a movement that had an incredible rise uh, thanks to digital uh, media technologies and with the comedian Grillo and the Casaleggio uh, technological guru kind of marriage, uh, uh, their powers uh, in terms of technological practices and imaginaries have been massive in Italy and also in Europe and I would say at the global level. So I look at both the student movement and these party movement and, and kind of their relation or like evolution and how you know the movement seen in Italy and this more party movement more institutional uh, um, manifestation uh, uh, um, co-evolve coexist and change um, and uh, and in Spain I look at the technological lab laboratory of the indignados so I may look at the indignados uh, 2011 and their evolution, but then I, of course, look at the Mareas, the way they uh, um, evolve into different kind of more local protests around some particular issue in Spain, like 2013, and then the Partido X and, uh, and Podemos, which has two of the kind of political, more electoral manifestation, uh, more mainstream that result in part from, from the movement. And then, you know, something more like in order also to trace the history of like Spain in the last, in the really, really last, uh, uh, let's say, one year or so. What, what exactly do you, do you mean by these terms? And, and what, what are these sort of e ecologies that, that you're talking about? Yeah, ecologies. Well, uh, uh, let's say that uh, I somehow not, sometimes we say rediscover. It's not that I'm rediscovering really that reappraise I think it's probably the best term all the media ecology tradition you see like McLuhan uh, the old Toronto school uh, uh, 
I to put it bluntly, I mean, they were accused of technological determinism and to a certain extent, the fact that they really somehow see technology as driving social change is of course true. But on the other side, they had this beautiful um, understanding of technology as environment, as ecology. So when you add something, it changes the whole environment. It's not just, you know, it's not something that you add and then other previous technology disappears, but it's something more complex than that. It redefines how the other technologies are used. And I think this is one of the uh, uh, kind of, not intuition, but somehow that leads my understanding because what I was seeing is that traditionally um, activism, media activism and digital activism as well was really myopic and really concentrated on one single manifestation of this. Usually the novel technology. So usually it's Twitter, Facebook, and before it was online forums and before that. So it gives this idea that, you know, of course, technological progress, you know, like we were talking before, like the new app, Tsunami Democratic, it's kind of a, it can have an impact on that. But this is inserted and kind of uh, um, ingrained into a much a, a high, an ecology, a spectrum of technology, which uh, 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 and practices which are previously there, and that are redefined and and are still there, even if the let's say the coolness of the new moment prevents us for like seeing what is going on there. So um, seeing ecologies uh, and digital activism and like protest ecology or like hybrid media ecologies as I see them means recognizing this complexity, means recognizing this hybridities, hybridities between the old media and the new media and how they coexist and kind of merge and clash sometimes with each other. Uh, hybridity between like human technology, like humans and non-humans, like um, uh, technologies, like in this case, automated bots or uh, kind of new technologies that works and exploit algorithms on social media. How do they interact in this ecology? Other hybridity, like, um, of course, uh, uh, the one of the most important, which is the online and the offline, so the physical and the digital. So, you know, ecology, not, of course, uh, uh, the way I use it is a more kind of diversified and, and improved version of the uh, this intuition of the, the Toronto School I was talking about. It draws on many, many different insights from like other scholars that have used ecologies in their work. But the main asset I will say is recognizing, recognizing this communicative complexity of digital activism. So this makes activism and research on activism dialogue with big research uh, uh, in media and media studies and internet studies and really can bring it forward theoretically and conceptually, not just this kind of cool research on what's going on with digital activists and what is new over there, but really, really grounding it and research on, on change and media and so on. So this is the first one, bringing the complexity. And so this is why I used ecology in tandem with practices, because I don't use a a kind of detached understanding of ecologies. Ecologies are not just these big, massive technologies over there. Like, and this is problem. This is a problem that the Toronto School had, detaching society and and technology. But 
I ground them in practice. And here there's a dialogue with practice. So I didn't put practice in it for the rule of the three, you know. But I have a new book out. It's called City of the Media and Practice with Rowlett. We're going to launch it in, in London in December. So I kind of make amends there and I put the practice. Uh, and of course, City of the Media and Practice is another three is another three-rule uh, title. Um, and moving to imaginaries. Well, imaginary. So we have practice, but we, are, we have also what, you know, uh, people uh, uh, are moved by uh, uh, what they can or they cannot imagine. And the radical imagination, you know, applied to, to activism is actually uh, something that, that brings about social change. So um, I try to bridge research on imaginaries, on social imaginaries on one side, and on the other side, research on uh, uh, media imaginaries and, and, and activism. So how uh, uh, we have had these, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of either dystopian or utopian understandings and polarizing understanding of technology that are shaped also uh, uh, activist understanding, also activist practices of these technologies, and how these imaginaries in turn can act as... Uh, a way to push activists to innovate technologically and to change society and to bring about social justice. So this is the imaginary part. You know, it's not just organization, it's not just uh, technologies are much more than just the material side, you know. Well, uh, it's, it's something around them that moves people, the meanings we attach, the beliefs that we have around them, and so on. So this is important for me to rediscover this uh, this part that some some sometimes oftentimes is lost, especially I would say in uh, the tradition of U.S. you know political communication in the uh, in North in North America, and then imaginary so materiality right uh, algorithm I'm sorry and then algorithm so materiality materiality means uh, uh, everything nowadays it means rediscovering the codes it means rediscovering the what we call affordances in media studies, what this technology can allow you uh, to do and not, what they prevent you to do, how they shape collective action in a material way. So, of course, imaginaries are important, but, you know, they can only work uh, insofar as these uh, uh, material conditions uh, uh, allow activists to do things because we are, we are experiencing a change in digital activism where mainly activists work on technologies and digital platforms that are not theirs, that are uh, corporately owned and controlled and they limit activism and they shape it and they channel it in ways that before uh, it wasn't like that. So that is the point of bringing everything, the symbolic and material dimension of uh, activism and uh, uh, within this broader kind of ecological uh, conceptualization, this ecological gaze, as I call it. So I think this sums up pretty good the three main concepts of, of the book. It's, um, it's a bit dark at the moment. There's, there's, there's kind of fear of the internet that doesn't stem from, you know, hackers in, in, in quotes, but from much more nebulous forces like bots and you know russian influence and for the first time in my in my life that there, there is uh the questioning of the kind of 
Facebook-esque, you know, utopian vision of of the internet. Huh. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. I think this moment in time, but I think that the consideration is in, is important in here uh, in this debate. So, like uh, uh, these imaginaries around the internet, or these like uh, these discourses around the internet, are cyclical. So, histo- media history tells us something. It is not just what is going on uh, at a particular time that moves these discourses in a direction or the other, let's say to the dystopian or utopian pole, uh, but uh, it is human nature somehow that uh, uh, tend to appraise a media when they're new with like kind of a celebratory lens with these kind of... Uh, 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 let's say praising the allegedly democratic participatory and uh, revolutionary possibilities of the media but when the media gets a bit settled uh, and, and when it's ingrained and when it's uh, um, when it develops when you can see actually all these uh, challenges and, and, and faults and flaws connected to it then things gets much more critical in a way. So if you think about, you don't have to think about the telegraph and the television, which of course, and the radio, which of course were also like that, uh, welcome through this polarizing lens as well. But take take the last years. And so we have now entered, as you were saying, these kind of much more crit- kind of critical and somehow dark way of, uh, 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 seeing this development and Facebook is under public scrutiny right now and um, and bots and, 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 and fake news and alternative facts and post-truth look at how many different kind of labels how many uh, problems you know dark uh, developments of, of politics and, and alt-right and so on this is of course linked to these new uh, uh, developments in a kind of, I would say, post-Trump, post-Brexit, so starting 2016. But at the same time, uh, uh, there's so much overabundance of uh, really like kind of uh, a dystopian take on the role of the internet that cannot be solely uh, um, attributed to this. I think we are experiencing a new wave of critical that uh, 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 I wish, I wish that many of this uh, uh, points, these critical points that are very good, will be maintained. But I'm afraid that we will see another, like more optimist take in a while. Maybe marketing driven or whatever. But this is how it works usually because uh, uh, Web 2.0 kind of reestablished this optimism after the dot com bubble, right? So we had these kind of uh, uh, another. Cr- let's say, critical moment in time where there was this critique uh, uh, a decade ago, and then it was completely reestablished, only to be critiqued again, uh, but then re-kind of refurbished, re, re-emerged with the big data and algorithm and the faith. Now we are living another wave of critique around big data, which is really strong, you know, surveillance capitalism, the publication of of key books around it. But, you know, as I said, I fear that, uh, you know, we should be more vigilant, like in looking at, you know, and be more recognizing the ambivalence and recognizing uh, 
uh, I don't know, like the contradiction in this much, much earlier and not because we are as scholars, as journalists, as analysts, really easily uh, uh, led to one of the other pole, you know, in ways that are so cyclical. And we haven't learned a lot from history in this regard, I guess. So, you know, and the way we push these imaginaries and we adhere to them. So even if I welcome this new kind of age, and I was and I was researching lately for an article I've written on on WhatsApp, and uh, and its role in activism for a new special issue is going to be out in a few months, uh, uh, and and it's incredible how it was WhatsApp was disregarded at, at the beginning, like uh, nobody was basically paying attention to it. It was more like social media, like Facebook and Twitter. And mostly Twitter and activism and 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 research on on resistance, but now it's on the radar and it's mainly as a vehicle of manipulation, disinformation, fake news, and propaganda. Well, yeah, but research I've done show that of course this is the case, but at the same time it's been ingrained in the repertoire of uh, movements since two thousand ten. And, and, and in a really effective way and, and, and also in a really beneficial way to them. So like the scenarios, even if you do like research, especially like ethnographical long time research, you see these patterns in a much more, I would say, multifaceted and nuanced way and not so polarized way. <laughs> it's just... Obviously, these are different contexts at different times that, that, that you were studying these three case studies. But what, what were the similarities that you saw in, in the kinds of things that were happening? And, and what were the differences? Well, uh, similarity, let's say what I have kind of argued in the book is that uh, they're all technological laboratories of uh, uh, techno, techno-political laboratories. I've used these Technopolitics is a concept that is much more used in the in the, in the global south, uh, especially in Spain, but also in Latin America, to to point to uh, to this um, imbrication, to this connection between technology and politics, as the um, two faces of the same coin. Um, for them, is stronger than digital activism. It's like uh, inherently political technology is inherently political and, and and politics is inherently technological. I will sum it up like this, and I think these three labs, these three contexts, kind of embody this uh, uh, Mexico for uh, like for the Zapatista back in the day, and then for all that that you know the indigenous resistance uh, and use of technology and global resonance of this. And all those values and all that resistance meant for the world. But then I show that actually Mexico has been at the forefront of this uh, recently. So in the last 10 years, Mexico has been been there uh, uh, again. So it it never ceased to be a technological, a technopolitical laboratory. Italy at the same time... uh, um, is also can be also considered a lab. Uh, as I said before, the student movement really predates with these concerns regarding the crisis and linking this to uh, um, to the financial crisis of the 
2008 to uh, worsening of job condition and other problems and the use of technology and the use of social media and other digital platforms also predates other movements and then the escalate and then the grillo movement the five stars i mean they are the most uh, interesting case study in terms of technological imaginaries for me uh, there is it's incredible i mean it's uh, it's something that it seems that the, the what they write and what they do it's has been has been developed for a syllabus or for like a module in digital activism i, I sometimes i was like wow this cannot be real you know it's uh, it's 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 a gold mine but this is sometimes it's a bit terrifying you know in terms of like applying it to real politics right and and so italy and and then we have spain which for the last 15 years has also been a technopolitical lab so i with the before with like the mobile phones the 13m 13m and then with the evolution of this uh, uh, with the different movements that have been uh, uh, develop and finally with like the climax, the summa, the the 15M movement, and then the Podemos and all the other parties. So Spain is one of the technopolitical laboratories of the world. And you look at Barcelona, look at the municipalities, look at all the discourses around technological sovereignty, data commons, and so on and so forth. So w what I guess is really common is like how they embody these technopolitical sublime, this imagination, as I call it, the way that you imagine that technology can actually uh, be uh, uh, solve or like impact on the political and can try to uh, encapsulate democratic values and so on. And so what I, what, what I illustrate is how differently they enact this in the three countries and the obstacles that they face at the same level, because this is also, and this is where the differences some kind of set in, so of course, of the context. In Mexico, we have a, a strong kind of apparatus of repression enacted at both uh, the mainstream kind of media level with the so-called telecracy, which is the dominion of the spectrum by these media giants. And then you have the bots, you have the repression online, this incredibly army, well before... Uh, um, Brexit well before Trump. I mean, uh, Mexico was in, already from like 2009, 2010 was that developing these strategies at a massive, you know, at a, a massive level uh, and kind of developing them uh, with armies of bots of control from, from different parties, from the state. So it's an incredibly rich and interesting, but also like, as I said, terrifying case study for this and so this limited a lot this put put a lot of brakes on resistance uh, in spain resistance was tried also because they were so ahead of their counterpart i guess of the of the police of the state and others they of course they were uh, um, behind this and they were like trying to to get somehow uh, in the game, but uh, I see Spain as really pushing forward, like uh, from the grassroots, in ways that they didn't see coming, especially as in terms of firepower on Twitter and another strategy. So this was really uh, a specific of Spain. Nothing like that happened. I mean, nothing like that incredible digital firepower, I would say, happened in other places. Not even in Occupy, not even in. And, and recent, so it was something really peculiar. And in, Spain, and in, in, in Italy, 
I would say the different thing is like the way uh, the this party managed to kind of uh, uh, appropriate uh, all these imaginaries of technological li uh, liberation and democracy and all so on for electoral purposes. So this was a marketing-driven machine that squeezed out the energy and the political power of uh, of activism and pushed it in a different directions sometimes for you know uh, doing some let's say good things and 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 and, and having but many times uh, doing you know political using it for like uh, political power and and another kind of uh, and so in a way uh, um diminishing the power of activism and doing it from from above with all the problems that that he had and i describe in my book of leadership of control and all of that so similar as you know technopolitical labs but also incredibly dissimilar and it's also so great to learn about the differences between this is what you can learn about what went wrong what went right and what can we actually learn from this from this context, right? From a, from a comparison, why comparative studies sometimes are so useful, right? What are the sort of trends that you see, and what do you think a a a political movement in twenty twenty five will 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 look like as as compared to today? I think like that any movement, any movement, and maybe the biggest movement is is nowadays the environmental movement. I mean. Uh, besides what I'm going to say next now, I mean, this is the main point that needs to be done. It's not just a movement. I mean, there's it's not anymore a movement, if it always was, but, you know, that only defends something like, you know, there's the environment, then we've got other movements. This is the movement. I mean, there's there's no way, I mean, this is the movement without which we cannot have movements anymore <laughs> because if we don't have a place where in the space and an environment where we can actually have and discuss this we cannot have anything so collect for collective action to cease to, to still exist we need to have an environment and this is the most important fight uh, in 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 the whole world and the, in our in, on the earth so environmental and and with all the implication that these you know also the implication i would say of digital media to the environmental problem and so all the implication of the uh, uh, footprint and the carbon footprint and and the and the problems related to uh, the development of massive big you know system that uh, ai system big data and so on so we are leaving a trace also digital media so di digital media activism in a way should really uh, think about the impact that not just the political impact of that, but also the environmental impact. And I see this as a crucial, uh, uh, um, let's say, area of research as well. Uh, but also research leaves a trace. So on the other side, uh, uh, we are now recording this online and then, and this is leaving a trace. But at the same time, I'm not flying there or having a train and going there, which will have and much more impact so but conferences have where we talk about this and we still do them and we massively so let's say that i would say that environment movement has got all this implication which i think should be at the top top of the agenda and then other things well of course post truth you have 
you have talked about that, uh, uh, rightly pointed to that, and I think this is another thing. So, uh, like the crisis of climate, and then there's a climate of journalism and truth. Of course, I mean, deep fakes, uh, the, the old problem that this has on the political sphere, and with algorithmic power uh, unleashed, so uh, this is another really big one. I see this connected to the previous one, so again, uh, but... Uh, this is, of course, another. So you know, like movement now navigate this incredibly uh, poison environment. It wasn't that poison when I started to research digital activism? Not at all. So this is a totally different game right now, you know. And so, like the technology that they develop, they they have to take into account this. And somehow the, we were talking about like tsunami democratic. And Hong Kong protest, of course, they are already dealing with this, so they are evolving to taking this into account and to, um, because they are innovators, so they will always evolve to take this into account in different ways. So this is another area, and I'll see, and I, and maybe, well, not just maybe, but you know, data activism. What we are looking at now at the Data Justice Lab in these new developments in the use of data for social justice. Uh, that kind of touches also on other concerns regarding how to design justice that has been developed both um, like South America, but also like in the United States, uh, different latitudes. These are also new trends, right? In uh, uh, That somehow touches uh, digital activism and also goes beyond that and trying to connect with other uh, uh, concerns and preoccupation with the uh, uh, social justice and and oppression and marginalized groups and so on and so forth. So these, I would say, are the what is going on now. I don't know if the future, but this is definitely the present. <laughs> but let's say a kind of a really close present, and um, and I will say that the visual part of movements is much more present than it was when I started to study movements. Uh, uh, visual as in uh, the power of the visual spread on social media and on other platforms but also visual as in these memes wars uh, and, and how memes are weaponized against so I guess now in terms of the let's say the skills that are required of uh, movements and all and uh, an activist uh, it's much more complex than it was when I started this and when it was basic. So the stakes are higher, but at the same time, these uh, the the digital ecosystem, the ecology is much more uh, poison and complex and hard to decipher. So we also as scholars are faced with incredibly difficult tasks. Um, and yeah, and yeah, well, and 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 also message like WhatsApp and Telegram and all these. Uh, um, we think I think that there, there's a lot of potential to research them uh, in ways that have right now we see them as I was telling you at the beginning as like this malicious spreader of this information, but they're actually incredibly rich in terms of uh, of what they can do if we look at them from a more like a ethnographic of qualitative perspective. But this is, of course takes time, takes trust, building of trust, and takes money <laughs> to go there and be and be doing this research but yeah so these i think are kind of the trends um and um but of course uh, uh as always i might be 
you know, completely wrong. And 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 there's a new thing. And tomorrow they're like, you know, you're just uh, in, in two years you're gonna say, look, these are the trends that Emiliano Trare kind of set. And no, no, no one of this is now at the at the center of research whatsoever in in the part of the world. Instead, these these and these and that are the new trends. I'm happy to be wrong. It's good to be paid even if you're wrong in this in this uh, <laughs> in this kind of projection in academia. This is one of the privileges of the of our work, I guess. What are your current projects and and what's what's the book coming out in December? So the book in December is Citizen Media and Practice, another co-edited collection. Uh, it's um, uh, it's edited by me and Hilde Stefansen, uh, a great researcher from from um, from University of Westminster, uh, London. So uh, we basic it's basically a continuation of my say some of the themes of the book, and some of the themes that Hilde has been developing uh, uh, in parallel with the research. So we basically ask what has been done in research in media practice and citizen media and social movements media in the last year. So we scrutinize what has been done. We assess the present, the current challenge, but we also kind of uh, um, sets out uh, and uh, and see what is, what, are the what, what is the future of this. So it's basically what we have been doing, but more focused on practice and practice theory it's a sociological theory that looks uh, at uh, what we do with media, not in terms of texts, not in terms of discourses, but mainly in terms of practice, in terms of what we do. Uh, uh, so this has a lot of um, history in both sociology, but also in Latin American uh, communication scholarship. What I think it's really important, what we do, is like calling important Latin American uh, scholars and asking them, what have you, I mean, what is the contribution of Latin American of this? Because they have been doing that for uh, decades. The only problem is that this was not assessed properly and was not taken into account by Western scholars, uh, I think, until the last years. And so we bring in, 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 a, in a kind of a dialogue people like Nick Coldry, uh, who has been developing his media practice approach uh, also uh, in, in dialogue with Martin Barbero uh, from Latin America, but still it wasn't uh, enough fleshed out until then. We bring Clemencia Rodriguez and other amazing contributors, and we kind of, uh, so we trace the roots of this. Uh, but we also take media practice into, let's say, the present and the future by engaging in a dialogue with datafication. So how looking at people and their practice can illuminate the study of data, because there is all this focus on data and material artifacts, but how actually engaging with agency look like. So it's a continuation, but it's also, a, and, and it's really, really theoretical. So we want to advance theoretical contribution. And this is one of the, the stuff, it's been going on for like three years. Uh, it's crazy. I think it's the first and last edited collection that I do. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely better in doing special issues. Special issues are good, are fine, and they're and they're like faster. Uh, this is a great book, I think, but it's it took a lot, and uh, sometimes it's just the glory that we that we have in doing a book. But uh, but I'm so happy that it's finally out. Uh, and then you know we have this project with the Data Justice Lab on on, on how uh, um, 
people uh, uh, engage, let's say, and how what is the the space for intervention into these data-driven systems for citizens. So it's a two-year project with the Open Society Foundations, uh, and we have this amazing conference next year in Cardiff, the second one, it's called the Data Justice Conference, where we engage with scholars, practitioners, and, and civil society organizations in discussing this participation and data-driven system. So this is going to be the next thing. And, uh, well, yeah, we we hopefully have a, have a publication coming out of that. And um, also the Big Data from the South initiative that I... Uh, that I co-direct with uh, Stefania Milan from University of Amsterdam is involved and uh, we try to look at uh, datafication, how it unfolds in the global south in general. And of course, my my eye is always uh, in the direction of Latin America, where I have been involved in many projects and my, my of course, my involvement in Mexico, but also Colombia and other, and other countries. I try to look at that and we have... Uh, yeah, we have just, I mean, we released in May this um, special issue on big data from the South in television and new media, the journal. Concomitantly, we released another one on data justice and information, communication and society. It's uh, it's crazy because this special issue always got out at the same time. So you're not able, you, you either have too much on your plate or nothing. You know, it's just a kind of a crazy political economy of knowledge. And, uh, uh, and uh, so, yeah. So looking looking at this and fingers crossed we have some projects that are under review and hopefully I will be able to tell you more in the next month. So hard to get funded, but uh, imagination and uh, and ideas. This is something that we I don't lack and and and, uh, <laughs> and we got an overabundance of that. So these are the direction and some of the direction which I was telling you about as digital activism are also, of course, naturally, some of the direction that my work has taken in the last years. And uh, now with the Data Justice Lab, of which I'm a part of, I'm happy to, you know, to count with the space where I can actually work with other people and share. And I think we are, we have been doing, you know, we've been doing quite well, okay, and, uh, you know, being covered in the, in the Guardian and in the, with uh, collaborating with the um, UN and, and, and other entities in kind of try to advance social justice related to datafication. So that's that's basically that's basically it. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Uh, well, I just wanted to mention to kind of, you know, boost my ego a bit, but also do some kind of self-promotions, like we are talking about the book, that he won an award uh, uh, at the ICA uh, um, you know, last yeah, in May. In May, everything happened in May for me. Like uh, for some kind of, uh, for some kind of reason, it was the inaugural award of the new. Uh, 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 it's uh, activism and social justice interest group of the International Communication Association. Uh, um, so I was, you know, it was great for me to. I mean, it was just awesome to be recognized as kind of an inaugural award of that. Uh, especially with a book on on that mainly relies on the global south, and uh, as so yeah, um, I'm happy the, to have been awarded that. But we the, the second edition is is also people want to send their book, you know, uh, to be considered for the for the award. Uh, I'm part of the of the jury right now, so it's a good occasion to be recognized and work for this. 
for the glory, for the glory, because there's not a lot of money involved. I'm afraid people think like, yeah, words, you got a lot of money to think about the future. Well, not actually, but it's good to be recognized in the work. Uh, 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 and so um, to see 10 years of research, like, you know, I was wetting when I was like, all right, yeah, thank you very much, guys, uh, because uh, because it's a lot of it's a lot of work. So so I was really I was really happy that I was recognized with with that. Just, you know, these these kind of thing, uh, uh, which I think, well, yeah, no, on the other side, thank you very much. I think we cover a lot of ground and uh, and uh, a massive amount. It's always it's always a pleasure for me to talk about both the conceptual part and the case studies. And it's so hard because I've given like 10 or maybe 12 talks about my books and I always pitch it differently because there's a, there's an incredible amount of information in that. So it's either the one case study, three case studies, the conceptual thing. And, um, but I'm happy. I'm happy that people use it, that students reflect on this. And I'm also happy to, to get critiques on that because I got these emails that like, maybe I should include this and integrate it. Well, it's there. It's, uh, it's not carved in stone. And it's exactly what I want people to do, to use it, reconfigure it, mix it, uh, merge it, uh, destroy it, whatever. So just, just do it.